Part 10. Which neighbor? Toad and I would wait until you were asleep, quietly sneak into the bathroom, and then start the shower. We'd let the room fill with steam and then block the gap under the door with a towel. This bathroom was in the middle of the house, so we couldn't blow our smoke out of any windows. We had to rely on the small ceiling fan to dispose of our evidence. We thought we had it all figured out, and you never once caught us. Looking back on it, especially with your insane sense of smell, I can't imagine you didn't know. You had to hear us giggling, two grown boys, in the shower together. Maybe you were scared we were lovers and were hoping we were just in there doing drugs. Our smoking inventions started out of necessity because we didn't own any paraphernalia. When we couldn't get papers or blunt wrappers, we'd construct a makeshift pipe. Initially, they were crude, but we got better as we figured out the mechanics. We took a socket out of your toolset and taped it to a brass 90-degree elbow coupling. Smoking the galvanized metal gave it a weird taste, so advancements had to be made. We rummaged through old toys and used the water canister from an old super soaker, the mesh screen from the sink faucet, and pen tubes. We used your tools to drill holes, glue pieces, and bend pipes. One night we had taken a gallon milk jug and cleaned it out before cutting the bottom base off. We unscrewed the cap and inserted a handmade bowl that was deep enough to hold a good amount of weed but also wide enough to fit a mesh screen to keep the weed from falling through. We filled the bathtub with enough water to submerge the jug, leaving the top exposed. We would pack the bowl and light it as we slowly pulled the jug out of the water. The vacuum would pull air through the bowl and fill the jug with smoke. We'd continue pulling until just before the cut portion came out of the water, remove the bowl, and then one of us would clear the jug. You would have to first blow all the air out of your lungs and then inhale through the mouth of the jug as you pushed it back into the water, forcing a gallon of smoke into our tiny teenage lungs. We'd laugh our asses off while the other one coughed uncontrollably. It was always too much smoke for one person, but we'd try anyway. There is no amount of shower steam mixed with Axe body spray that could ever cover the amount of smoke that filled that bathroom on a nightly basis. Without any repercussions, we only got more daring as we became more complacent about hiding it. Considering there's no way you didn't know something strange was happening, there are only a few options for what was going on with you. For one, you could have avoided having that conversation with me because you didn't know what to do about it. I remember coming home from school one day and blowing smoke out of my window in the spare bedroom where my drums were. The window led out to the backyard, concealing my activities behind the fence that blocked your view from the street. If you came home and I didn't want to talk while stoned, I didn't have to run back into the house. I could jump in the shower or lock myself in my room directly across the hall, which is exactly what I did when you got home early. I got in my bed and turned my TV on, with the sound up loud but I didn't hear you walk in the front door. I figured you were working on something before coming in, but I was too scared to peek out the window, a victim of my paranoia and not wanting to get caught. Uncharacteristically, you came straight to my room and wanted to talk when you finally came in. Hey, what are you doing? You asked as you opened my door without knocking. Nothing, just watching The Simpsons. I smiled and nodded my head but immediately looked back at the TV, afraid you could see the redness in my eyes. The neighbor said you were smoking weed. Is that true? You had a look in your eyes, almost begging me to lie about it. My brain was doing its best to figure out what was happening, moving slowly on the fresh high. My heart was pounding, and it felt like I had to hold myself down to avoid blurting out a lousy excuse. 
If I answer too soon, I will say something stupid, but if I sit here without responding, I might as well have admitted it. I decided to buy some time with a nonsense question and asked, which neighbor? What does it matter which neighbor? Were you smoking weed or not? You had let go of the door handle and stepped a few feet into my room with your hands on your hips. I was thinking about how the neighbor would have known. He couldn't see me because I was inside the house. Then it occurred to me that I couldn't see him either. He must have been working in his backyard. Had I been standing outside, I would have heard him and left, but since I was in the comfort of the room, I had probably been blowing my smoke right at him. Again, it would have to be about what to admit rather than crafting a creative lie. Yes, I waited to see your reaction before offering any additional information. Better to see how this plays out, I suppose. Where did you get it? You look less mad than I expected. I got it from school. A couple of people were smoking it and offered me some. I said no, but I was curious. I got a small amount of it and decided to try it here where it was safer. I knew there wouldn't be any major consequences aside from losing some privileges. Considering I'd wait for you to fall asleep and then do what I wanted anyway, I wasn't too concerned about what punishment was coming. Still, I was anxious about this because I didn't know what would happen. This was unfamiliar territory, and I wasn't wearing my protective jinkos. You've never done it before? You asked. No, and I don't like it, I just wanted to try it once. I painted on a face of exhaustion as if it was terrible. I honestly don't remember what happened next. I assume you grounded me. Whatever it was, you didn't do much because I walked away feeling like I had again gotten away with a great lie. You didn't take the pipe or the rest of the weed. You didn't search my room for more, which was terrific because you would have found the pot plants I had growing in my closet. It just went away. Maybe you were avoiding looking for more weed in my room for the same reasons you were avoiding talking to me about giggling in the shower with Toad. A second option for why you would ignore our behavior is because I was such a weird kid that you didn't even question why we seemed so stupid in the kitchen after our shower, scrounging for food and mumbling through full-mouthed giggles. There's a lot of stuff I did sober that looked like I was on drugs. My brother was in town and had been watching a lot of science fiction on TNT. On a whim, he decided I'd look better with a haircut like the Centauri from Babylon 5. I obliged and was even willing to let him dye it bright blue. I knew you'd be pissed and make me cut it off immediately, but I wanted to wear it to school for at least one day. Shannon shaved my head as close to the skin as possible but left a small square patch of hair on my forehead. The final coup de grace was spiking what was left of the blue hair on the back of my head. I couldn't even look at myself in the mirror, it was so bad, but I laughed hard all night. We would sometimes see each other in the morning while I was eating breakfast before school, and you were on your way out the door for work. I could have stayed in my room until you left, but I instead wore a full-face motorcycle helmet around the house. When you came out of your room, I was sitting on the couch next to the hideaway table with a large bowl of cereal. You glanced over at me and said goodbye as you quickly walked out the front door. Did you walk by me pretending to eat a bowl of cereal, despite my mouth being covered by the full-faced motorcycle helmet, and brush it off because I was always doing weird stuff that you didn't understand? Is it the same reason you ignored Toad and me with the munchies, laughing at nothing while we ate raw ramen noodles in the middle of the night? I made it to school with my awful haircut and had a good laugh out of it. I knew the sci-fi reference so the style made sense to me. 
it didn't make sense to my computer science teacher, who had a very similar male pattern baldness. He was sure I had done it to make fun of him, so I was thrown out of class and told to fix it before returning, but I didn't want to live another day as an ugly centauri anyway. I still thought it might be fun to give you a hard time about it, so I pretended I wanted to keep it when you told me to shave it all. I put up a small fight and savored your frustration, but I shaved most of it an hour later. The dye had turned my scalp blue and I kept the small patch on my forehead. You were so pissed that I had done it in the first place that my continued insubordination of not shaving everything sent you into a conniption. The small patch was much easier to live with than the blue crown, so I kept it for another day and hid it from you the next morning before school. You came to my soccer practice after work and saw that I still had the small patch of hair you had ordered me the shave. You pulled me out early and we headed home. I was giddy with excitement. Getting you pissed off about stupid stuff was a fun game for me, but I could tell I may have pushed you too far this time. We were still in the car when you told me you had enough of my disrespect. And then you threatened to send me to go live with my mom in Montana. I was in shock and felt like I had been mortally wounded. Up to this point, I felt there was nothing you could do to punish me, and I'm sure you probably felt the same way. Sending me to Montana never even crossed my mind as a potential punishment and the implications started racing through my mind. First of all, this was all about a stupid patch of hair. Looking back, it was probably just the last straw of everything else I was doing, but at the time, I couldn't see past the fact that it was just a stupid haircut that I wasn't all that fond of anyway. You had let me wear a mohawk before, so why was this any different? I understand now that my defiance, not my hair, made you want to prove a point. I also didn't feel safe in Montana, and I felt like you knew that. Not to mention it meant you didn't want me anymore. I was crushed by it and ended up shaving that patch of hair into a small Ziploc bag that I kept as a reminder of how much I felt hated. A dramatic gesture for sure. But I kept that bag for three years. Part 11. Fuzz Buster we went to Georgia for Christmas one year to visit family, and Toad stayed at the house and took care of our dog. When we got back a week later, the place looked great. You could tell he had cleaned, nothing crazy, but it wasn't the pigsty that you feared it might be when we got back. I was still unpacking my things and settling back in when you called Toad and me to the kitchen. There was a corner of the kitchen counter that he hadn't wiped down, and the beer that had spilled there was now a sticky brown circle that smelled like stale hops. Toad denied everything, but he didn't have any good answers. He just played dumb. You were showing him the stain and pressing him for information when you moved the spice rack, hoping to uncover more of the spill. Under the rack were bits of weed. It looked like he had wiped the counter but pushed a small amount under the rack, just out of sight. You were furious with him, but he kept his denial about what it was or if he had thrown a party. We were both sent to our rooms, and I asked him about it. He lied to me too, but I told him I didn't care. If he didn't do it, I'd be willing to fight with you, and I promised to stick up for him. I asked him not to make me go through that if he really had thrown a party. I told him he was likely getting kicked out either way. The only difference was if I had to go down with him. Toad came clean a few days later, and you kicked him out. Toad tried to go home, but his stepdad was even worse now that Toad had run away. Toad couch surfed for a while until getting an apartment with his older brother. Those two were pure chaos to be around and would often try to outcrazy each other. I hated going out with them because you never knew what would happen, but it would likely be bad. 
I craved having a mellow night for once, but one of them would inevitably get too drunk and then try to kill the other one. Toad and I went to the bar to meet some chicks who had invited us. They knew a club they could get us in without IDs and promised to get us some drinks. I had a whiskey with coke and barely finished half of it by the time the girls wanted to head back to Toad's place. I was already feeling strange, so I left what remained of my drink on the table, and we headed out. On the drive back to the apartment, I felt drunk. Way too drunk for half a glass. I wanted to ask Toad, but he was making out with one of the girls. All four of us wound up in the bathroom, and the girls wanted to take a shower. Without hesitation, Toad ripped his clothes off, and he and his girl continued making out as they got in the shower. Sitting on the bathroom counter, I just smiled at my girl. Aside from the running water and weird noises in the shower, it was quiet. I started to compliment my girl on what she was wearing when the shower curtain flung back, and Toad came tumbling out, wrapped around his girl. They frantically grabbed and rubbed all over each other as they stumbled their way out of the bathroom and headed back to his room. My girl and I met eyes again, and we laughed. I was starting to feel less dizzy, so I lowered myself off of the sink. I turned the water off in the shower and again was about to talk to my girl when we heard a loud crash. We both ran out of the bathroom and saw Toad's leg sticking through the door, and he was struggling to pull it back through the hole he had made. He punched through the top and then folded the door in half. The pieces left connected to the hinges were swinging pathetically as a very naked Toad stomped his way through the destruction. Toad disappeared into the kitchen to get a drink of water, and the girl he was with came after him screaming that he had finished too quickly and was insulting his manhood. Toad's brother caught wind of what was going on and joined in. Toad tackled his brother, and they flipped over the back of the couch and crashed into the coffee table splintering the legs and shattering the glass top. I looked at my girl, whom I had barely talked to all night, and waved goodbye. I grabbed a handful of clothes and broke up the fight just long enough to get Toad down to the car and away from the apartment. We put it together the next day that Toad had finished his drink. The girls we met up with must have roofied us. His night was filled with holes and brief flashes of memory. He stressed for nine months straight that he had gotten her pregnant, and I was so glad I hadn't finished my drink that night. These things happened to Toad all the time, and you really had to be in the mood to hang out with those two. I would generally buy pre-rolled blunts from Toad and his brother. You could get three for ten bucks. They were easy to conceal, smoke, and discard. Toad was getting his weed from Snoopy. We had all gone to junior high together. Now we were in junior year of high school, and these guys were legitimately trying to be drug dealers. It was hard to imagine these kids you could remember from a few years earlier, now deep into the drug game. It's surprisingly easy to fall into, though. When you smoke blunts, you eventually cut them open to pack a bowl or a bong and realize that three blunts don't contain ten bucks worth of weed. We could have bigger blunts if we bought the weed and rolled it ourselves. Then you realize you could buy extra weed, sell a few blunts on the side, and then you'd have enough left to smoke for free. Now you have a little side hustle with customers you know will buy every so often. At some point, you can sell it faster than you can smoke it, so you have to buy more at a time to have enough for yourself. The guy buying the blunts from you eventually realizes three blunts don't have that much weed in them. Now he wants to start buying his own 10 sacks too. The blunts that you're selling turn to grams, and then those grams turn to ounces. Snoopy was getting into some big deals and was becoming more secretive. He was all business and never rode his skateboard anymore. We stopped being able to call him for weed because he was afraid the police were watching him. 
Everything was in codes, and we'd have to meet up with him at different places. As he started dealing with more prominent clientele, he stopped doing small-time deals, and we couldn't get our ounces. Not unless we could make it worth his while. Snoopy was running from his house to Austin, sometimes multiple times a week, to pick up weed. He was getting pounds of it and then distributing it to dealers in and around our town. I could get my ounces for free if I were willing to drive them to Austin. It seemed like a great idea to me at the time. He gave me a fuzzbuster that would pick up a signal of any cops that were nearby. They would leave at one o'clock in the morning and fly a hundred miles an hour, only slowing down if they saw a flicker on the fuzzbuster. They thought I had what it took to be one of their drivers. On my first night driving, Snoopy rode with me so he could show me how to get there, introduce me to his contacts, and then show me how the deal was supposed to go down. The people that do this stuff, especially at the volumes they're doing it at, are not the chill paw heads you see in the movies. These ones have guns, smoke potent weed laced with who knows what, and have little patience for people who look sketchy and don't know what they're doing. You know, with people like me, the stakes are too high for them. The cops don't care about the dudes buying blunts. They don't even care about the guy selling those blunts. They want to watch and see who's at the top, and that's the person we were driving to meet. We hadn't even gotten out of town when they started passing around a bowl of hydroponic weed. We merged onto the highway, and I was doing a good clip. Not the hundred miles per hour they were used to, but I was getting after it. We were listening to music, smoking weed, and chillin'. I felt like I was sinking into a comfy couch, and the windshield might as well have been a giant television screen. Thirty minutes passed, and we were still inexplicably driving out of town. I must have let my foot off the gas, and we were slowly coasting down the highway off the momentum we had built. My coast turned into an idle as we barely hit five miles per hour in the fast lane. Luckily, I just didn't have what it took to be in the game. My career would have ended that night. But then you went to Africa for work. Part 12. Acidic Used Vodka you would be in Africa for two months, but you let me stay in the house alone. You gave me enough money to get by and then gave me the phone number of one of your co-workers, Dan, whom I was supposed to call and check in with every night. You left, and I immediately started throwing my nightly parties. Everyone would have to be quiet so that I could call Dan, let him know everything was okay, and then we'd get back to partying. I also transferred to Rosewood Academy at the Center for Alternative Learning while you were gone. Rosewood allowed students to work at their own pace to earn a high school diploma. It wasn't a GED program, and it wasn't for bad kids, but the school was full of high school dropouts and students who couldn't make it through the traditional high school. I tested out of everything and finished my senior year in two weeks. This gave me more time to focus on my crime spree. It was simple economics. I had the contacts and the money, and now we just needed to sell it as quickly as possible. We could double the money and then have free drugs the entire time you were gone. Snoopy was long gone by this point. It turns out his house really was being watched, and they finally raided it after his last run to Austin. We now had to go to Sean for anything we needed. Sean was our backup dealer, and I hated doing business with him. He was left in the care of his grandparents after his parents died. He was too much for them to handle, so they got him an apartment and gave him access to all the money he needed as long as he stayed away from them. His apartment looked like a wealthy high school drug dealer lived there. 
There were surveillance cameras on the front and back porch, and you could watch the live feed from the living room. Once inside, you could choose from a smorgasbord of drugs. The worst thing he had there was his prescriptions annex that he would share. Sean drank heavily and mixed it with his meds that he called the bars. He would become overly generous with his drugs while taking them, and that's why most people hung around him during his episodes. But it was too much for me. One night, Ricky and I were riding in Sean's truck, headed back to his Richie Rich-style drug compound. The red light stopped a small car in front of us. Sean honked his horn twice, but the little car refused to run the light. He started yelling at the car and then re-rented them, pushing them into the intersection. The car pulled to the side of the road, but Sean floored it past them and then picked up where he had left off in the story he was telling. Ricky and I looked at each other with a shared horror. We were just two skate rats, and all we wanted was some weed so that we could get stoned and skate the mini ramp in the backyard. We agreed that if we bought enough drugs this time, we wouldn't have to hang out with Sean for as long as possible. We bought a bunch of weed, enough hydroponic shrooms for one night of fun for a group of four, and a small amount of ecstasy and then decided we could make the most money selling Xanax because none of us wanted to take it. We set up shop in the kitchen and started our business. I maintained contact with Dan every night but would skip it if we partied too hard. He would then come by the house to make sure I was okay. I don't know if Dan talked to you and told you what was going on, and you just told him not to worry about it, but he eventually gave up on trying. The longer it went on, the less we cleaned each morning. We were leaving beer cans everywhere, a large hookah-style bomb stayed on the living room table, and other bits of party remnants were always all around the house. I was a better druggie than a dealer, so we quickly used all our drugs and spent the money. Dan came by one morning to check on us, and he either walked right past it all without noticing anything, or he was feeding that information back to you, and you were letting it go. I almost died from alcohol poisoning several times while you were gone. On the worst night, I had finished a handle of vodka and was throwing up uncontrollably in your bathroom. This wasn't the first night I had drunk to this point, so my friends were getting sick of taking care of me. My girlfriend left with Ricky, and the party slowly ended, but I couldn't stop throwing up. Nothing was even coming out anymore as my body tried desperately to get the vodka out of my system. I painfully dry heaved over and over. Nobody called Dan that night, but he had long since stopped checking on me. Most of the people that came to the house that night were my friends, but someone always ends up bringing a stranger. When the owner of the house is puking his brains out in the bathroom, sometimes those strangers take advantage of the opportunity. I still don't know who did it, but they ransacked the house looking for something of value. I woke up in your bed, unaware of how I had gotten there. Luckily, I had fallen asleep on my stomach because I had puked in my sleep. My face was lying in a wet puddle of acidic used vodka. My head felt like it had been split in half, and as I gingerly washed my face, I noticed I had burst a blood vessel in my eye from puking so hard. Everyone was gone, and I felt angry that they had left me there to die. Someone had removed your dresser drawers, and your clothes were scattered across the floor. You had a secret stash of porno mags under the bottom drawer, and those had all been taken. Someone had barbecued on your gas grill, but they had filled it with charcoal. The carpet had mysterious stains, the house was a mess, and what was left of the drugs and booze were all gone. When I got to cleaning my puke out of your bed, it had already soaked into your mattress. Covering up a months-long party was going to be hard but I had learned from Toad's mistakes and was ready for the challenge. 
when you finally returned. I had done about as well as Toad, but that was relatively impressive considering I had thrown a much longer party. You were pissed about your grill, confused by the large stain on your mattress, embarrassed about your porn, but you hadn't mentioned anything from Dan. You asked if I had anyone over, and I said, well, of course, I had people over. You were gone for a really long time. My friends came over almost every day. This is basically where we hung out. As you sat on the couch, your hand felt something in between the cushions. You fished it out with genuine confusion and showed me my favorite glass spoon pipe that I thought had been stolen. What the fuck is this? You asked but knew exactly what it was. I don't know, that's not mine. I shrugged. Maybe it fell out of someone's pocket. You were obviously upset, but you didn't press. You let it go, and you threw my pipe in the trash. That night I snuck into the kitchen to get it back, and I saw that you had dragged the Lizzie Boy recliner into the kitchen and were sleeping next to the trash can. Instead of keeping the pipe with you and disposing of it in the morning, you stood guard next to the trash like a clueless father just doing his best. This avoidance of the issues I was having, and the risky behavior I was taking part in, allowed me to fall deeper into addiction. You wouldn't say anything about your whiskey bottles slowly emptying. I could get away with a single shot here or there, but I wouldn't be able to stop at just one. I would have to water the bottle down with tea to replace the volume I took. I was too dumb to realize that you would taste the difference, but I kept doing it because I kept getting away with it. You laughed it off when you had people over for fight night and found I finished the gallon jug of margaritas you had in the freezer. We fought about it, but I was out of control, and you weren't the one to get me back on track. I think you were relieved to get me out of the house when I turned 18. After graduating high school, you made me sign up for classes at the junior college. I wasn't ready for college and didn't have a major in mind, I just wanted to play music and skate. The only career I could see myself in was owning a skate shop, so I signed up for business classes but never went. Not every profession needs a college education. In many cases, it's a terrible investment. My second try was a botched attempt at real estate. Now that I had failed two straight semesters, you were finally threatening to cut me off financially. I decided to ask my mom for money, 